you're, uh, if you're new or have missed the last couple of weeks, you may not be aware that uh, we have uh, recently started a series where we're talking about what sort of church do we want to be? What sort of culture do we want to have as a church that when somebody meets someone from Harvest Church and knows nothing about Harvest Church, what would be the image they're left with? What would be rubbed off on that person? What would be the feel of us as a church? Now, you know, there's, there's some things which uh, we're, we're in this series we're sort of taking for granted, the love of God. <laughs> we want to communicate the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, things like that, which are really, really, really important. But we've also wanted to highlight four particular characteristics, all of which, again, are a reflection of God. And we want to spend uh, parts of this year investigating what these look like. And so we're doing uh, four mini-series throughout the year. Each one's five weeks long, and each one will look at each of the four things, the four characteristics we're wanting to develop. And then the final one of the series will gather those thoughts together. And uh, if you've not been around, or maybe you're still just sort of getting your head around this, I'm just going to remind us again what these words are. The first one's genuine. We want to be a people who are genuine. That when you meet somebody from Harvest Church, you know you've met somebody who's being really real. And that we live our lives of truth, integrity, honesty, openness in such a way that when people meet us, they go, wow, that's different. In a world which is full of fronts, and image, we're really real. And uh, that's the first word. The second one, thankful. We're thankful people. We're people who know what it is to give thanks in every circumstance. Expressing deep gratitude for our whole lives in every way to everyone. Paul had so much to say about that. I know Nathan uh, preached on that last week, so that's probably quite fresh in our minds. This week we're going to be looking at generous. This isn't about materially generous. This is about whole of life generosity. We'll uh, look at this in a moment, but the phrase we're using is seeing the best, seeking the best, and sharing of our best. And then finally, courageous. That is, we want to be a people who um, live out Christianity in a fearless way, regardless of the temptations which are around us. Fearless Christianity. That is, we take every opportunity as God leads us and directs us to see his kingdom come in each and every part of our lives and through each and every part of our lives, not giving way to fear. And so today we're going to look more generous. What do we mean by this phrase, generous? And the way we're doing this series is we are looking at characters in the Bible. And today we're going to look at a guy called Boaz. Now, you may not have come across Boaz, albeit actually he appears in various parts of the Bible apart from his story because twice in the New Testament, his name is linked in with the genealogy of Jesus where it recites the, 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 the parentage of Jesus going back generations after generations after generations. You'll find you come to Boaz, Boaz and Ruth. And uh, so he's, he's, a, he's a key, key guy. Without Boaz, we may never have had the family of David, the household of David of which Jesus was part of. Isn't that an amazing thought? God plans these things so far. How he pulls these things together. And uh, you may say, well, I've never heard of a book of Boaz. 
Where do I find Boaz? Where's his life story? Well, it's contained in a really little book of the Bible called Ruth. Now, this is my wife's favorite book of the Bible. I'm preaching on it, and she's doing kids' work this week, such as it is. And in my Bible, it only takes up four pages out of a thousand. So it's very easy to miss or to never get around to finding. But if you're in the Old Testament of the Bible and you know where the book of Judges is, Judges is, uh, I can't remember, I haven't counted it, half a dozen books in from the beginning. And if you find the book of Samuel, in between is sandwiched Ruth. Okay, so Ruth happens, it happens, the story of Ruth happens at the time of the Judges. It's part of the story of the Judges. And it also then leads in and we've got the story of the birth of Samuel and that leads to the household of David and all the rest of it. So it's sandwiched in there. You may want to find it now. We're, um, I'm going to try and tell this more as a story and I'll refer to parts of the, 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 the book of Ruth as we go rather than doing lots and lots of reading out of the book of Ruth. Let's just pray. Father, we ask that as we're in your word today, would you... Speak to us, just as you have already met with us so powerfully in our time of worship, which was just wonderful, enjoying you and knowing your love poured out on us. We ask as we're in your word, would you speak deeply into our hearts, that it would shape our lives and result in great glory to you in how we live out our lives. Bless us, Lord, we ask that we too would be a blessing to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. So what is this story of this, this woman, Ruth? What is the story? Well, the first thing you need to know is that uh, while the book is called Ruth, it starts actually with a lady called Naomi. And Naomi is a Moabite. Uh, they often appear as enemies of Israel. In the Old Testament, at various points, there'll be battles and skirmishes and all sorts of stuff going on. But Naomi has married a, an Israelite, uh, somebody from the people of God. And she has two sons, and they both marry. And one of her son's wives is called Ruth. And... Uh, Both husbands die. Both of, the, both of the sons, they die. And Naomi's husband dies too. And great loss. And Naomi is destitute, effectively. She's, 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 her life is ruined. She's lost protection. She's lost provision. She's lost so much. She, she sends the daughter-in-laws away. She says, go and find husbands elsewhere. I can't give you another husband. And one of them goes and one of them decides to stay, and that's Ruth. And there's this really powerful passage in Ruth 1. I'm just going to read a few verses from where this happens. And uh, verse 16, Ruth replies, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. And you may have heard that verse used sometimes. It's a powerful verse. It's, a, it's an evocative verse. 
a sense of connection of, no, I'm not going to disappear. I'm not going to abandon this. Even though Ruth, Ruth was a Moabite, she was, she was going to go with Naomi. As Naomi decides to make her way back to Bethlehem. And as she arrives in Bethlehem, right at the end of chapter 1, it, go, it, 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 it uses this phrase in, in verse 19 of chapter 1. Um, so the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. The whole town was stirred because of them. The story of Naomi and Ruth was a powerful story. It was the sort of story where the, yeah, people were talking about what had happened. The devastation which had hit their lives was so great that it was known well. And so the stage is then set to introduce Boaz. Boaz, by the way, is a name means strength is in him. And Boaz, as we read in the first few verses of Ruth chapter 2, appears to be a man of great standing. He's described as a man of standing. And Ruth ends up working in one of his fields. Now, the law allowed, in fact, encouraged that people who had land, when they harvest, they were only to harvest the field once. And if they left grain behind, others could follow on and take that grain. And Ruth is without possessions, really. She's, she's penniless. She's got no food. It's harvest time. She hasn't had an opportunity to grow any food. She may not even have any land. We don't quite know whether she has or hasn't. And so she goes to the field and she is going to go and glean. That's the phrase, to glean. It means picking up those bits the harvesters have left behind. And it just so happens. That's how it's phrased in the, in the book. It's a lovely turn of phrase. It just so happens. Do you know God organizes those just so happens? And do you know, he's doing that in hearts and lives here today, even. And you may or may not recognize it. Sometimes we don't. We just think, oh, it's normal. It's a coincidence. You know, if you ever think you're going to phrase, that phrase sort of rises in your heart, it's just a coincidence. I'd always encourage you, just pause and say, God, what are you doing? Sometimes they are just coincidences. Sometimes they are things which... Our Father, our loving Father, has pre-arranged for us and which we're just walking in the good of because he loves us. Well, Ruth just so happens to end up in Boaz's field. She could have ended up anywhere, but she ends up in Boaz's field. And Boaz is actually a distant relation of Ruth's. And so she goes and... Uh, Boaz turns up at the field. Now, Boaz is a landowner. He's a man of standing. He's a man of stature. He's just checking up to see how his workers are doing. He's just going to turn up. Maybe he'll do a bit of work. Maybe he won't. That's his choice. But Boaz arrives, verse 4, from Bethlehem and greets the harvesters. The Lord be with you, is his greeting. He was a man of great stature. And yet... He was also very engaged with the people who worked for him. He didn't lord it over them. You know, we can have different reasons in life to believe we have great stature. But actually, if we really understand who we are in Christ, we know two things. We have the greatest stature 
in Christ as sons of Almighty God. And that leads us, or should lead us, to the greatest humility in dealing with anyone else. I'll say that again. We have the greatest stature in God as sons of God in Christ. But actually that in itself should lead us to freedom, to a liberty, to an understanding, to a humility, which means we can love and honour everyone else without making distinction. Because what we realise, actually, as we come into Christ, as we come under the goodness of the gospel, is we were worthless. We were covered in sin and shame. We had no value. We were destined for eternal separation from God until we came under the grace of God in Christ, until we repented of our sins. And it's in Christ we have reason. Only in Christ we have reason for hope. That's where we find our stature. And that leads us to humility. So look, Boaz turns up on the stage. He greets his harvesters, those who are working for him. They call back to him, the Lord bless you. There seems to be quite a relationship there. He's not held up high in some exalted place, but he seems to really be engaged fully as far as we can see. Maybe that is why he is recognized as such a man of standing in the community. It's because actually of what's happened in his heart, what he's understood in his heart of the grace of God. Do you know what else though? If you look at the genealogies of Jesus and find in Matthew the genealogy of Jesus, you'll find this, uh, that Boaz gets married to Ruth. I know that's a spoiler. I'm already ruining the story. I do apologize. It's why Emma loves this book more than anything. She says it's the greatest love story in the Bible. That's how she describes it. She loves this book. And, but if you look back one bit further, do you know who Boaz's mother was? Any idea? She was a lady. Sorry, I can't actually hear. Sorry, apologies. But thanks for trying. She was a lady called Rahab. Anyone heard of Rahab? Yeah. She was a prostitute. She was a Gentile. Somebody wasn't of the people of God. And she was a prostitute. That was his background. Andrew, are you allowed to utter that word in church? Yeah, very much so. Prostitutes are very welcome in church. She was a prostitute. So Boaz actually had grown up from a place probably of feeling shame. His dad, Salmon, married her and she'd probably come out of that and all the rest of it. But you know, that, that history would be there. How knowledge would be there, and yet he's a man who's free. And can I just say this, you know? I felt this was a word for somebody as I was preparing this morning. Maybe for more than one person here. So if it fits, please grab hold of it. Your background doesn't need to define who you are. I'll say it again. Your background doesn't need to define who you are. 
You can say, yeah, but you don't understand what my family was like. Have you met my family? You don't know what my circumstances were like. I grew up in... And then you can tell your story. And then you can also hopefully say, praise God though, God saved me. And as he saved me, he made me clean. And he made me pure. And he gave me a standing as a child of his. And that's my standing in Christ. That's my status in Christ. Your background doesn't need to define your present or your future. It doesn't need to define who you are. In fact, far from it, Scripture and the love of God, which is revealed through Scripture, the grace and mercy of God is what is to define who we are today. If your background is shaping you, God wants to set you free today and bring you into a place where your background doesn't need to define or shape your life from here on. Please hear that. I feel it's an important word for at least one or two. I feel within that, I felt there was a lack of hope because you you, you said to yourself, it's hopeless. I'll never lose my background. And God says, no, I want you to celebrate it. I want you to celebrate your background. But in so doing, celebrate the grace of God which has brought you into the present where you're not defined by your background. Sorry, this is a lot of, back, a lot of background stuff here. Uh, there's one other bit you need to understand when we look at the story of Ruth, and it's the concept of something called leveret marriage. Now, you may go, sorry, leveret? What, what's leveret? Well, you may think it's something to do with the Levi's. It, it actually isn't. It was, a, it was an Old Testament principle established. You can find out all about it in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 25 um, the, the early verses, uh, probably verses 1 to 10, really covers it. And uh, what you need to understand was there was a principle established in the law, which Deuteronomy reveals the law of God, how pe- God's people, to, uh, Israel, were to live, which required that if a married lady who is sonless, when a husband dies, if her husband has a brother, the brother is to marry her. And the brother is to ensure that she has a son, if obviously so far as is possible, so that the family name of the, the original husband is not lost. Okay, so that was a principle, an Old Testament principle. And you just need to understand that for this story, because otherwise this story is going to seem really weird. And within that, then, there is a phrase called a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman, one of our kin, our family, the redeemer of our family. And that's what this, the person who did this would be called a kinsman redeemer. So let's go back to Boaz's story. We're sort of somewhere loosely in chapter 2, about halfway through chapter 2 of Ruth, if you're just keeping an eye on it. And I'll, I'll give us some verses to reflect on as we go. So back to the story. Boaz turns up at the field and, shock horror, Ruth's there. And he's probably just about worked out who she is. He checks that out with the guys in the field. He asks some questions of them. Whose young woman is that in verse 5? Verse 6, the foreman replies, she's the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather and I've allowed her to. 
And then verse 8, we have this. So Boaz says to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field. And don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the girls. I've told the men not to touch you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replies, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of even one of your servant girls. And then the story continues. We'll pause there. And actually, Boaz actually feeds her well. In fact, he feeds her so well at lunchtime that she has left over plenty to take back to Naomi, which is wonderful. And then he urges her to come back and actually harvest again in the fields. In fact, he urges her to the point where he says, Basically, don't go anywhere else. Just come back and come back and come back. Throughout the whole harvest time, you can glean in my fields. He also gives incredible instructions to the harvesters. He basically says, be a bit more casual with the harvesting, guys. Have you ever heard of a farmer who says that to his team? Oh, no, is that what Anthony says? It's lovely, by the way, honour to have you here today. It's wonderful. Is that what Anthony says to the guys on the farm? Be a bit more casual with the old harvest. I don't think so. She's shaking her head. No. But he's making sure that they're going to have enough food once the harvest is all in. He's protecting her, not just for today. He's thinking about the winter. He's thinking when there is no harvest. He's thinking, what are they going to do for food? And at one point it talks about, uh, she gathers up, I think on this day, 21, 22 litres, half a bushel, 22 litres of grain in one day. That's a lot of grain in one day. Later on, he's even more generous with her. He, gives her, he gets her to um, lay out a shawl and he fills it, fills it with grain. Take that back to Naomi as well. He is generous beyond fault. I mean, he's just so Generous, materially generous, but generous in his attitude, his heart to her. In every possible way, he engages with understanding who she is, what her situation is, and then ensures that she is well provided for. Now, the story continues, and we're probably not going to have time to look at it, but in the, in the end, what ends up happening is this. That under Naomi's encouragement, Ruth goes to a threshing floor and um, effectively leveret marriage starts. This process of leveret marriage where he becomes her kinsman redeemer and he marries her. And out of that marriage, if you read in uh, chapter 4, you'll find 
Uh, right towards the end of chapter 4, he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. And people give glory and honor for that to God. And they name him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. The, I can't remember how many times, great, 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 however many times, grandfather of Jesus. And isn't the story of God amazing? Isn't it incredible how it's all brought together? And it happens because Boaz is a generous man. And so I just want to draw out three points uh, very briefly. The first one is Boaz sees the best. He sees the best. When he looks on Ruth, he doesn't see a foreigner, an alien, somebody from another tribe, even a tribe that's fought the Israelites in the past. He doesn't think, oh, she's, she's damaged goods. She's been married before. Her husband's dead. He has compassion on her. He doesn't see himself as higher and mightier. He gets down to her level in humility. He understands her situation. Can I ask, what's our attitude to others? How do you look on people each day, people you work with, people, perhaps neighbours, people that you perhaps don't know very well, people who serve you in a shop. Or maybe you work in a shop and people who are customers you serve. How do you look on your family and your friends as well? It's very easy for us to develop an attitude of superiority, to think we're better than some people. That may be due to wealth, or maybe be due to our health. It may be due to our education, our intellect. It may be to do with our skills. Maybe it's our sporting skills. Just to say, anybody with sporting skills, great respect. I have none. It's true. It may be our background. It may be our social standing, our perceived social standing. Do we hold those things lightly? Or do we let them control our life and define who we are? Which one is it? Are you the product of all that stuff? Or do you live with true humility before Almighty God, understanding that we were nothing until Christ got hold of us? and changed and transformed our lives. And therefore we approach life with humility. The Apostle Paul, he had a great background. He was a zealot, he was a Pharisee. In Philippians 3, basically lists everything he had in his favour and then says, I count it all as loss. He goes, this is all my background, this is all my history, this is all that I can lay claim to. And it's all rubbish. Counted it all as loss. Why? Because of Christ. Because of the grace of God. Counts it all as loss. A right attitude in how we see ourselves 
will enable us to see the best in others. It will also, though, secondly, mean that we will seek the best for others. Boaz acts to ensure Ruth is protected. He acts by providing clear instructions to his men to protect her, to provide for her, to do all sorts of things to ensure that he makes sure she receives the best, everything that she needs. In doing so, he reflects God's heart for mercy, for justice, for protection and care. And yet in the process, he risks so much. What's he risk? What do you think he risks? A man of standing who's suddenly associating with this foreigner from a hostile people. He risks ridicule. He risks alienation. He risks what others are going to say or think or even do or even question his motives. Is he just trying to take advantage of her? Is that all that's going on? Is it about the sex? No. No, he's an honourable man. He's a righteous man. And he's expressing something, the heart of God, in this situation. Friends, fear will stop us from acting righteously in a generous way. Fear of what others think. Fear of what others may say. Fear of being misunderstood. None of us like being misunderstood. Fear of uh, being derided or mocked. Fear makes a terrible master. When you give way to fear, fear goes wonderful. Thank you for giving me the keys to your life. I'm now going to dominate your life. And it stitches us up in tighter and tighter circles and knots and twists and brings control. And it stops freedom. It stops grace. It stops mercy. It stops it being understood in our lives. It stops it being expressed through our lives. That's why it was so great singing about the love of God this morning. Because we were singing about, yeah, uh, what was the phrase I wrote it down? I never, one of the lines of the song, you sang this, okay? I'm just going to remind you what you sang. Because you may actually want to chew on this. And actually, do I really believe this? I never, ever have to be afraid. Why? Because one thing remains. Your love never fails. Never gives up. Never runs out on me. And if you're not, if you, well, that's just a song. Can I encourage you to read 1 John chapter 4, which talks about the, how the perfect love of God casts out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment, and we don't need to live under fear. Let's deal with fear. It's a terrible tyrant, a terrible master. The third thing, though, which happens is Boaz shares of his best. Not only does he see the best in Ruth, not only does he seek the best for her in terms of protection and guidance and care and all those things, bringing mercy and justice, but he shares 
of his best. He shares of his best because he instructs his harvesters to leave food behind, far more than was necessary under the law. He also see, uh, shares of his, uh, she, he also provides instructions to make sure she's not embarrassed in what she does. Then he gives her a full meal with sufficient to take home to, to Naomi. Then later, he gives her further food. He provides for her in a generous way. He expresses his generous spirit through providing for her materially. And then when she comes to approach Boaz to see if he'll become her kinsman redeemer effectively, he responds so positively again. Yeah, that wouldn't have been easy. He had to go through a whole load of hassle and inconvenience to make sure that he could be her kinsman redeemer. And you can read all about that in the story. He takes what God has blessed him with and he shares it. And he shares of his best. It'd be very easy to say, another one of those wretched gleaners in my field. Guys, watch out on the harvest. Guys, make sure the harvester's just working a bit better. I know they don't have combined harvesters at that time, but don't you dare drop one ear. He would have been perfectly right to do that. So long as they didn't go on the edges, which they had to leave behind for this purpose of gleaning. He could have done that. No, he didn't do that. He said, effectively, he said, drop some. Make sure she gets enough. He shares of all that he has. How are you sharing the resources God gives you? Now, probably, even asking that question, you're thinking I'm talking about money. And I could be talking about money, but actually, that's not the only resource God's given you. You see, God's given you time. He's given you energy. He's given you health. He's given you a home. He's given you, potentially, I don't know, because each one's different, a car, a job. Yes, uh, also money. You see, he actually provides for us because he is God, our provider. He provides for us in every way. He's given you intellect. He's given you skills, gifts, gifts of his spirit. What do you do with them? What do you do with them? Do you use them well? What do I do with them? Do I use them well? I try to ask myself that question regularly. I try to ask myself the question, what sort of steward am I being of what God's given me? Not just materially, of my life, because that's what he's given me, my life. What sort of steward are you of the life God's given you? You know, it may say, well, Andrew, that's a very personal question. Can I just warn you? You're going to be asked that when you get to heaven. Get used to the question now, because that is sort of what's going to happen when you get to heaven. You're going to give an account for your life. For what you've done with your life. Each one of us. None of us. Not one of us is going to escape. So what's your, going to be, what's your account going to be like? Oh, well, yeah, but you don't understand. I've got this issue. I've got that issue. I, my, my life's busy. I, I, I can't share of these things. 
let's be frank. Let's be real. I do that sometimes. What it means is I don't want to share of these things. It means I want to be selfish. I want to protect myself. I'm responding out of fear or out of a desire for something. We all do it. Let's be real about it and let's help one another to address it. That we share of the best of what God gives us, of our entire lives. So there's three things we can learn from Boaz's story. I would encourage you, please go and read the book of Ruth. It would take you probably about 20 minutes this afternoon. That moment where you decide to put your feet up after lunch and after you've done the dishes and all the other bits and pieces and you put your feet up before you fall asleep. Read the book of Ruth. And say, Father, teach me from Boaz how to be generous with my whole life, with my mind, with my attitude, with my heart. Don't let fear take over. Protect me from fear, please, Lord. Root out fear in my life. Help me to live a life of humility, of right understanding of who I am, which means I'll also be a good steward of all that you've given me. For his glory, for his honour, for his praise. Ultimately, so that others will come to know Jesus. That God will be glorified by more and more people, both through how we live and how we affect others. Boaz, through doing it, was the great-grandfather of the house of David, the family line of Jesus. the son of a prostitute. Great-grandfather of the house of David. Wow, what God can do with each one of us. I'd like to invite you to stand, please, where you are if you're able to. hopefully the Spirit of God has been doing something in some of our hearts and lives. Hopefully in all of our hearts and lives in this room. If it's just about my words, then we've failed. But hopefully the Spirit's taken hold of something and put it deep in your heart. And we've just got a few minutes now where we're going to be quiet. I'm going to shut up. You'll be glad to hear. And uh, you get the opportunity to talk with God about what struck you. So I want to encourage you, use this time to reflect and then to respond to our loving Father who welcomes us and delights in us. And then I'll lead us in a prayer in a minute.
Father, we are so grateful for your love. We're so grateful that we get a new start in Christ. We're so grateful you redefine us that our past doesn't have to define us any longer. We're so grateful that you put a new spirit in us. Spirit which doesn't lead to fear but leads to you. We're so grateful, Father, for your grace, for your love, for your mercy over our lives. And we want to acknowledge you today that you are Lord. You're the boss of our lives. You're the one who defines us. You're the one who shapes us. And we want to ask, help us, Lord, to become a generous, spirited people. Oh God, help us. Help us to lay down those things which stop us being like that. Help us to say no to fear. Help us to find humility. Help us to find ways of outworking grace to bless others. To share all the resources you've given us. To handle them as good stewards before you. For your glory and honour. So we commit ourselves to you. We say, fill us again with your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit of God, would you come and lead us and direct us. Come and uh, direct our lives. Guide us. Be the one who takes us by the hand and who walks with us throughout life. And remind us that we're sons and daughters of the King. Children of God. Loved children of God. we commit ourselves to you help us Lord we're all learning how to do this none of us are perfect but you are so teach us your ways help us to walk in your truth we commit ourselves to you and we say thank you for our time together this morning thank you for being amongst us thank you for speaking to us bless our time as we fellowship together Bless us this week as we gather in all sorts of different settings to reach out and to love, to reflect and help and support and encourage. Help us to live with you in mind, in our workplace, in our home, in our neighborhood, in our town. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Please stay standing just a moment. Can I just say, if you're here today and you don't know this Jesus I'm talking about, you don't yet know him as your saviour, you're not even quite sure what that means to use the phrase saviour, and you're not sure he's your Lord, the one who you surrendered your life to, we would love to help you do just that today, to come to know him in that way. We appreciate that you know, it doesn't always happen just like that. You may be on a journey, we'd love to help you and to feed that journey in whatever way we can, it would be a privilege. And so if you are looking in and thinking, I want to find out about this Jesus, please would you come and have a chat with myself or Nathan or John or Sean or uh, really anybody else, uh, the person you brought you, it really doesn't matter who you have a chat with, actually. Have a chat with somebody and say, I want to help me to find out more about Jesus. And if they can't help you, they'll find somebody who can. And uh, 
Let's enjoy him throughout this week. Thank you so much. Amen. Don't forget to get your kids and there's refreshments being served out in the cafe area.